Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Cheers. Welcome to another week here in the Hammered Sports Podcast. We're live in the lounge tonight on a beautiful Tuesday night here in uh, the very end of June, huh, Tom? Last few hours of June. Yeah, we're getting up to uh, July, which is an exciting time. Normally, kind of a dead zone for the sports world. Just baseball and golf going on typically. But at the end of July, it is going to be (laughs) popping. Baseball, basketball, hockey, all scheduled to come back uh, at the end of this month. Yeah. So, uh, Tom, tell them what we got on the schedule tonight. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some golf. Got some more golf this week. We're going to play Name This Player. Uh, We're going to preview the ACC, which has been not much of a competition lately. We'll see if it gets a little tighter. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for this show. Let's kick it off, though, um, and review kind of what we saw this weekend in the PGA Tour event. Let's talk about a little golf first. It feels like golf. Talk yes. right now. Was it high seventies and sunny here today? Yeah, it's beautiful out. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dustin Johnson coming away with a big victory. Fun event. A lot of great players in the tournament. Uh, that first group, that first uh, Thursday Friday, watching Rory, Bryson, and Phil play together, yeah. and Phil come out leading after two days with that group. It was nice to see the fifty-year-old with the resurgence there this weekend, particularly for a guy like me who's a Phil fan. Anyway, yeah, it was interesting to see some of these uh, longer hitters make. Um, some different decisions off the tee. Um, that course definitely rewards length, but it, uh, you know, there's some some holes where you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you're not careful. Yeah. So you saw, you know, Dustin a couple times went to long irons even off the tee just to get something where you could get a medium medium shot in that yeah. like better. So I love that when it forces guys to make decisions. I think that's what's no the doubt. best is when golf's the best. So it was nice to see some guys crush the ball, get on the green. There's a lot of uh, albatross seeking uh, and stuff like that, but also guys playing smart, taking an easy birdie. DJ kind of jumped out on Sunday and then uh, Mm -hmm. held on. Yeah, he he had a couple questionable (laughs) choices down the stretch, including one where he didn't need to take driver and did and hooked it out of bounds and got himself in a world of trouble, but again, held on, made a birdie the next hole, and... Uh, really was just able to, you know, 20 under he finished at? 19. 19, yeah. 19 under, which uh, is a great weekend of golf all around. And we talked about the Bombers, you know, being the guys that were most likely to succeed this weekend. Uh, it, you know, it bared out that way with yeah. Johnson coming out on top. And some other guys, you know, maybe not quite as big of uh, big of hitters as he is, um, kind of hung in there a little bit. Yeah. But And watching, you know, watching Phil kind of, play his way around there with those guys that were just mashing it rory and bryson put on a show driving the ball on thursday and friday and uh i i'm a guy that subscribes to the pga tour pass so that i can watch the featured groups on thursdays and fridays in the background while i'm working um so you know for me it was a great time watching those featured groups play and seeing DeChambeau and his club head speed and how far he hits the ball now is just a it's a show in and of itself and that drive um so Dustin Johnson came to the last hole knowing he only needed a par 
yeah. to, to win it. And he goes out and hits a 351-yard bomb right yeah. down the middle. And you knew pretty much once that landed, it was over. <laughs> DJ's a guy that has confidence in his driver. He's not afraid to pull oh, it yeah. out in, in situations where other guys are laying back. So he, he's pretty confident that he's going to hit that little that squeeze fade that he just bombs down there, you know, with that strong left wrist, um, you know, which is an interesting position in golf. If you know anything about it, you know, he's not neutral with his hands at the top. He's got the club face shut and uh, then hangs on and hits a hits – a, just monster fade out there so uh it's really fun to watch him play but i'm excited that you know this weekend's going to be a little bit down um there's still some really good players in the field tom sure uh, run through a few of the guys that that we've got in the field this week that uh it looks like are going to be competing um webb simpson is back um after sitting out last week patrick reed is going to be there De- um, bryson dechambeau uh, looks like Shambo is the yeah. is the favorite right now. Monster favorite. He's plus five fifty to win the tournament. Uh, Matsuyama, Ricky Fowler, Tony Finau, Sunjay M. All all these guys. Kevin Na. Plenty of good players still competing in this event, despite the holiday weekend. This is a field that's getting a big boost because of the uh, pandemic, and and these guys returning and just wanting to get some golf in. You've got a yep. major championship four weeks away. Yep. A lot, of, a lot of good golf to come, and this weekend, it, you know, it's a it's a course, um, not to get too far ahead of us, but they, they don't get to see a lot, so. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to, you know, kind of see how it all shakes out. They've only played one year on it, so. What are um, your uh, thoughts on the UFC from this last weekend? So we had an amazing main event, that's for sure. Yes. What a great, just rock 'em sock 'em. let's stand in the middle of the cage and throw down. Yeah, I thought that um, I was super disappointed the the way that John Volante tapped when it looked like he was going to win the fight from yeah. the top, you know, and and it was a it was a very it was a strange arm triangle, yeah. yeah, arm triangle. What it didn't look like it was super deep. It was like, yeah, I don't know. It was it was strange to me, it but looked, I mean, I guess that kind of indicates the power that that Mo Green has to be able to finish that from the bottom like that. Yeah, I think you have a few things going there. I think you have, I think Volante was was gassing a little bit there at the end. And between that and then getting caught in that choke, he just didn't have anything left. Yeah. I really think Volante was going to win the decision. I think that if he doesn't tap there, he wins the decision. But, you know, he he probably saw his his lights going out. So, you know, these guys are pretty tough fellas, and they don't just just give up. (laughs) He's not tapping for no reason, so. Yeah. Um, You know, in that main event, those guys. Yeah, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker just stole the show. You know early consideration for fight of the year i mean with uh, the combination of that one and the yo jacek Li zhang fight <laughs> yeah that, which the, was also crazy yeah those were two wars this year whichever one doesn't win fight of the year <laughs> it, or isn't really given that recognition yeah. they're sure uh they're getting getting the run to the stick because both were amazing slugfests i thought at a few points that hooker might put his lights out yeah i thought this fight was more competitive than that other fight though yeah. um because it could have gone either way, it seemed, at, at points. I definitely think the right guy got the decision. I think Poirier did more, but it, it seemed a lot more like Hooker was in it. Yeah. Yeah, Joanna was not really No, in, yeah, in she it. was hanging in there and being tough, but she was getting destroyed. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought Hooker had a great chance throughout the fight. I thought, yeah. you know, maybe in the late rounds, but it looked like Hooker 
had taking taken more damage and was wearing down a little bit yeah. more than Poirier was by the time they got to rounds four and five, which I think were the determining rounds. I think Hooker was ahead two rounds to one going to round four. Um, I, don't, I didn't see if they if they announced anything yeah. about where they stood, but that would that was my assumption, and I know the live betting had Hooker favored after two rounds. So yeah, it was it was a really good fight um, after three rounds, rather. That's well, that's what you want to see out of two of the top contenders. Them just really going for it. Um, both of them willing to be hit, there to be hit, just really going for the win, and uh, you know not playing it safe. Yeah, and the rest of the card was a bit underwhelming. You yeah. know, it wasn't anything to to really be excited about. A few decisions and yeah. So, but we've got a huge card on July 11th that uh, we'll we'll play into next week. Fight Island. Yeah, big time, big time card that's going to be a lot of fun. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a lot about that next week. Uh, in the meantime, we have some football news. We do. Some NFL news. Cam Newton has signed with the New England Patriots. and uh, One-year deal, right? One-year deal incentive with a laden. lot of incentives. Yeah. Prove it deal, man. You can, What do you got left in the tank? Yeah. And what do the Patriots have to lose to bring in a 31-year-old former NFL MVP uh, to step in? If he's healthy, he's good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at what Tom Brady did last year, he did not put up huge numbers. That offense did not put up huge numbers, but obviously they're still really good, 12-4. and four. There's no reason Cam Newton cannot do similar things, but with more athleticism, maybe running the ball a few more times, scrambles here and there. Um, but there's no reason Cam cannot do exactly what Tom Brady did last year. And Which, I, I which think makes this a fringe playoff team. Yeah, I, I mean, they're in the division that's wide open as the AFC East. I I would imagine they were got to be the favorites again if they weren't already. It's got to be close. I mean, it's going to be um, – How much of a backstep does New England's defense take from last year? I don't think it's going to be a great it's, deal. I think there's going to be some. It's going to go back yeah. – there's two main reasons they'll go back. One, just that kind of defense is not sustainable year to year. Like right. the amount of defensive scores they had and all that. Sure. It's, but also they, they did lose some guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kyle Van Noy, hopefully, you know. Yeah, it was an absolute stud where he landed. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you have to replace him, and then you know it's not an easy thing to do when you're drafting three tight ends. Yeah, it's. Um, we'll see what kind of offense it is too. If Cam Newton gets the nod there, yeah. I'll be intrigued to see how they can be creative with that. Are they going to be power run and play action? And you know, you see, would think so. Yeah, just based on the makeup, which would be interesting to see with with Cam Newton there. Um, Nikhil Harry's role is very interesting to me, what what he ends up being for them this does year. Does he really develop into the player yeah. they thought he was going to be? But they've been, uh, quite frankly, piss poor at drafting receivers right. historically. So maybe Nikhil Harry is not what everyone thought. Maybe that's why he was there when they selected him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think he It'll slid a little bit in the draft two years ago. So um, I I think I project that they'll probably be 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six if Cam Newton is there and healthy. A, a healthy Cam Newton though could be really scary with that team, like yeah. like return to the form of 2015-16, uh, where he had the MVP caliber seasons. Can you imagine if if it really was a shoulder thing or a foot thing that's been holding him back? Right, and he comes back and plays at that kind of level, it'll be scary to deal with them. Yeah, I mean, even his like 2018 season was not. It's not like he was playing awful football in 2018. His numbers aren't great, but that team wasn't very good then either. Yeah, and he's never been a guy that's been blessed with a bunch of weapons either. It, the best receivers he's ever thrown to, you know, he had Steve Smith for a period of time, 
And then beyond that, you're dealing with guys like Calvin Benjamin, um, who's was just a complete flop. Um, you know, throwing to Russell Shepard, maybe. You know, some of these guys that yeah, they they just they're not. Yeah, Greg Olson's been his most uh, yeah consistent, and he's been on and off the field with injuries himself. So it it'll be interesting to see what it looks like. So yeah, I mean, just pulled up his stats from 2018 when he last played a full season. Uh, 3,300 yards, actually almost 3,400, 3,395 yards, 67.9% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, 13 picks, um, quarterback rating 94.2, also added 488 yards rushing with four more touchdowns. So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. If he could just do that again for this New England team, that's that's going to be good for good enough for them to, to make some noise in the AFC East and maybe even further than that. No question. I mean, I'm not the – obviously, we're all waiting for the Pats dynasty to end. Yeah. And when is it going to be? Was it with the departure of Tom Brady? Well, maybe, but maybe also it's not going to happen until Bill Belichick decides to call it a career because he seems to be one of the greatest in-game coaches of all time, and uh, he seems to know the personnel that he wants to get, even if everyone else questions it. So it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see. It's, they're definitely more interesting with him than without him, though. I, I think this adds, you know, we'll see. They're saying he's going to come in and compete for the starting job. We were just talking before. We both think he'll win it um, and then go from there. If he struggles, they already have Stidham there. You know, they can bring him in at any point. But I think your best bet is a good Cam Newton, so you've got to give him that shot to start. I would love to see. I want to see our teams, you know, respectively, the Dolphins and the Bills, Beat the Pats when they're still good. I, yeah. I don't really care about seeing a team fall to two and fourteen, though it's going to be nice when it happens. I I, I want to beat them to end the dynasty. Right. I want to win when they're still competitive. So I, I'm never a guy that's like, oh, I just want to see you know three one and fifteen teams in my division, and you know that that's or you know that's not what I'm looking for as a fan. I'm looking for a team that's competing and, and clearly the best in their division so I, I hope that it does work out and he's semi-successful just not successful enough to make the playoffs and <laughs> not successful enough to beat our teams yeah. um next there's a little bit of charity golf going on tomorrow uh, bubba watson and harold varner the third are going to play jason day and wesley bryan they're going to play the back nine um in detroit here it looks like they're going to donate it to uh, the money's all being raised for Detroit. Detroit's trying to uh, get themselves out of a world of hurt. And this one is designed specifically to help the city of Detroit. So they're going to play a little golf on Wednesday. It is going to be on golf channel. Um, they're just playing the back nine, uh, but it should be a little bit of fun to watch. I'm wondering right now, Kevin, do you see any odds for this available? Let me take a look and see if uh, they've got it up here. I'll check bet us. They seem to offer, uh, the widest variety of yeah that's the one I'm on I'm not seeing it not so. seeing it on here nope hmm yeah everything's under the rocket mortgage yeah I don't see it yeah it doesn't look like it so the betting markets may not be open I know it wasn't on bet DSI either because I had checked there first and they only had golf matchups. They did not even have like the top five, top ten, you know, which is why my, my preferred site is, is BetUS for looking at this stuff. Just gives you a sure. few more, few more options out there. Um, 
That'll be fun. I mean, do you know what the format is? Did they say? So they didn't really go too far into it. It just looks like they're having, um, they're going to do it for the charity. They're only playing the back nine. There's a, a set of holes that they call the 313 in honor of the area code of Detroit. And if one of them happens to get a 3 1 and 3, I think we have two par fours with a par three in the middle. Um, so you get birdie, ace, birdie. They're going to donate, I think it was like a million and a half dollars really? to charity. Um, they're also doing like $5,000 for each birdie and twenty five grand for any ace. Uh, so they're they're definitely going to put some money out there for uh, the city of Detroit. Oh, that's good. It's always nice to see those charitable works taking yeah. place. You get to play Golf. a little, I mean, nine holes. Golf is known for giving a ton of money back to the communities that they play their tournaments in. So yeah. I mean, some of these golf events take zero money, and yeah. it's all donated. Um, you know, you if you watch a lot of the, especially the Thursday and Friday coverage, they talk a lot about it, and they'll have the sponsors in to talk about how much they help. The Waste Management Phoenix Open yep. is known as the, the biggest, the most charitable uh, golf tournament on the PGA Tour. They, they just donate so much money back to the community there, and Waste Management's a big part of that. So yep. uh, always good to see. Uh, what do we got next to talk about? So Tom? we are going to talk about the Rocket Mortgage Classic now. Uh, this is the second year that they're playing on this specific course here in Detroit is the Detroit Golf Club. It is a last year, um, minus 25, Nate Lashley won it. They are trying to make it a little tougher. They're talking about, you know, making, beefing up the uh, rough a little bit, trying to uh, make it a little more difficult last year. Minus five had the uh, most difficult two par to make the cut. Yeah. So... You know, you're talking about an event that was low, very low scoring last year. The guys yeah. were, were, you know, making a lot of birdies, and um, the field was not a complete field. So this year, it's been beefed up a bit, like like we said before. Um, we've got guys like the and Webb Simpson, and Patrick Reed, and Tyrrell Hatton all playing. Matsuyama. Um, a name that I really like in this event is Victor Hovland, um, young player on tour. He's playing very well. Um, plus eighteen hundred to win the tournament. You got anybody that you got a feel on for for this weekend? Um, so Kevin Na played well last year, and Matsuyama played really well last year. And I, as as a course that's new to the tour, having that one year advantage, I think really does give them um, a leg up this week. Patrick Reed is, is looks like he's a big favorite um, behind DeChambeau and Webb Simpson. So I, I would go with. Um, Matsuyama, I think he's been playing pretty good the last couple of weeks and yeah. is is kind of right there. I'm going to go with Victor Hovland as my pick to click here. Um, and then I have a, a big underdog play that I really like, a guy who, who played well last week. Looks like his game's in pretty good form, and I think he played well on this event last year, and that's Brian Stewart. Uh, Brian Stewart is plus 9,000 to win this tournament. And uh, he's playing decent golf, and he's, he's a steady player doesn't hit it long but he, he can putt the ball well i think that he might be a nice little dark horse play uh brian stewart at plus nine thousand. and uh to, to for the long bats harold varner the third is at plus 6600 uh, this is a guy who when he plays a complete round of golf can score real low yeah uh, this is this should be he's going to get an extra look at it playing in the charity event on wednesday as well may may help him come thursday friday saturday how about nate lashley wins the tournament last year and has plus twelve thousand to win this year <laughs> it was a little bit of a long shot last year when he won he actually uh was the last person to qualify for the tournament last year went on to win led every round which is mm -hmm. does not happen often in golf yeah i mean 
for a twenty dollar bet, you could win twenty four hundred dollars. Yeah. If Lashley was able to win the tournament, worth a stab. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, there, there's some other names on here too that that you could look at when you're talking about the price plays. Kevin Kisner, who's a guy I've been on already this year, uh, missed the cut when I talked about him. Eric <laughs> Eric Van Huyen, um, South African player, plus 6,500. The kid can play some really good golf. Uh, watch that name for the weekend too. Uh, where are we going next, Tom? All right. So next, it is time to name this player. Name this player. We're we're really cruising tonight, man. Yeah, we're cruising. We're we're twenty minutes in, and With, um, without that little UFC buffer of a card, we've kind of grown accustomed to. Yeah, moves a little quicker. No doubt. So uh, I'm in the hot seat tonight. You are in the hot seat, and we've pretty much made it already through college. We are we're talking a little pro football again tonight. We're going to go with leading rushers from the year 2000 on. So this individual would have led the NFL in rushing yards. Okay. There's this could some, be interesting. There will be some names here that you forgot existed yeah, in life. Yeah. Because there are some on here I'm like, whoa. Yeah. All right. I no, may I'm, not even be able to think of their name. I'm, I'm already, I already have a name in my – or a guy in my head. The name just popped in. Never mind. <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Let's get to this gentleman's information. <clears throat> Four times Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, two-time NFL Rushing Yards leader, and made the NFL 2000s All-Decade team. Their NFL stats, 12,246 rushing yards, 80 touchdowns, 3,364 receiving yards, and 11 receiving touchdowns. Who am I? Ricky Williams. New. No. Oh, took took a quick stab. Quick stab. All right. Um, did I play in the AFC? Well, they played in both. Played in both. All right. They were with the AFC when they won the title. Okay. The AFC player that's played in both conferences. All right. Am I an active player? No. No. Come on, you know running backs don't last long. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. And this was a 2000s all-decade team, not yes. 2010. So we're going back a little ways here. Was he a Super Bowl winner? Ooh. Hold on. I think you would have it on here. No. Do I have a famous nickname? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So it can't be that famous, right? Right. Oh, boy. Let's see. Not on a Super Bowl team. Nope. Okay. 12,000 yards. Run those numbers by me again. 12,000 career rushing yards. Sure. Uh, 12,246 career rushing yards, 80 rushing touchdowns, 3,364 receiving yards with 11 receiving touchdowns. So it catches the ball a lot, too, that person. That, that's a solid amount. Fair amount. I mean, let's see. 
12,000 yards means this was a long career. This was uh, Curtis Martin. Nope. Oh, he might have more rushing yards than that. I, w I, I think so, yeah. All right. We're playing the AFC East. <laughs> uh, for a moment. For a moment. Actually, no. No? Nope. Marshall Falk. No. Oh, Edger and James. Yes. All right. <laughs> Yes, Edron James, 12,000 yards rushing. In the year 2000, he led the NFL with 1,709 rushing yards. Yeah, that was a really good football player. Absolutely. Who succeeded Marshall Falk. Yep. That, in Indianapolis. I was trying to remember the year that the Colts went from the AFC East to the... I know. That was the trick. And yeah. That's what gave it away. All right. Let's see. A or B? You have two guys dialed up. Do you want A or B? B. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Three-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, uh, NFL rushing yard leader, which we know. 8,167 yards rushing. 68 career rushing touchdowns, 2,944 receiving yards with 11 receiving touchdowns in my career. Who am I? Boy, that person has very similar numbers to Edron James aside from the total yardage, huh? Yes. It sounds like just a little shorter career, uh, but with quite a bit of success. Um, let's see. Yeah, is this an active player? No. Okay this player play on a Super Bowl team? Nope. Does this player play for more than one team? Yes. They okay. played for one team for most of their career in one year at another another okay. franchise. One year with another franchise. All right. Does this player play the majority of their career in the NFC? No. In the AFC, okay. So I'll bring that down a little bit here. Larry Johnson. No. There's a guy who had a couple great years and then disappeared, huh? Yeah. Priest Holmes. No. All right. <laughs> that felt good. I thought like 8,000 rushing yards was like in that ballpark. And I think both of those, well, at least Priest Holmes, I'm pretty sure, led the league in rushing. Yep, Priest Holmes in 2001. Yeah. Um, let's see here. What about uh, Terrell Davis? Nope. How many rushing yards he ended up with? 8,000 sounds about right because he only played, what, five years, six years? Yeah. Won a couple Super Bowls. Oh, yeah. Either this guy didn't play in a Super Bowl. Correct. Shit. 
This one's a little harder than I thought it was going to be at first. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the stats, it seems like it... it, it, it when you just hear stats, it's, it's very difficult to... Right. Like, place a, a player with that, you know? Um... Not Eddie George. No. Guys who love moving Russia, huh? Jamal Lewis? No. He probably had more career rushing yards than that. Pretty sure he led the league in rushing at some point, though, too. He had, what, 2,000 in one year, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, I guess I got to throw in the towel. Let's see if I can find one more hint that might give it away here. They were first team all Pac-10 in college. Well, we're going into Wayback Machine to go Pac-10, huh? Come on, it was like three years ago. That was a little more than that. It was like five. <laughs> Pac-10... Maurice Jones Drew. It is Maurice Jones Drew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Yep. All I needed to do was get my mind. I I, sh- I should just ask for the college hints yeah. still, even with the pros, because I get as soon as narrow I get it down quite a bit. Mind, yeah. You give me the conference like that, and the first name that came to my head was. You know, I, you, I'm go, I'm running through the Pac-10 schools, and I'm like UCLA, and boom, there it was. MJD. Yeah, he ran a four-three-nine forty-yard dash at the combine. I I was telling you I've been watching the Pac-12 network a little bit, and yeah. I, there's a documentary that's going to show. And I saw the advertisement for it about MJD in college, mm-hmm. and he just such an interesting build. You know, at what five-six, five-seven, yeah. and um, you know that stocky. Um, compact powerful but fast frame yeah he was pick number 60 in the draft yeah nice player yeah all right you ready for your last one yeah all right two for two four-time pro bowler two-time first team all pro twice led the nfl in rushing touchdowns once nfl rushing yards leader career 6,527 rushing yards and 54 touchdowns Receiving 2,346 yards and 14 receiving touchdowns. Who am I? Terrell Davis. No. (laughs) (laughs) This is somebody that was flying for a couple seasons. Had a couple of great years. Four-time Pro Bowler. Yeah. Those four seasons were like it. And then fell off the map. Hmm. All right. Did I play in the SEC? Yes. Well, big hit right off the bat, Kev. Yeah, I know. Fred Taylor. No. 
Son of a biscuit. He had way more career rushing yards than that. What are you thinking, you dumb idiot? <laughs> yeah, he would have had quite a few. Yeah. Still active? No. All right. Generally, we go from easiest to hardest with these things, so this is probably going to be a little more obscure player. I mean, as obscure as a lead NFL leading rusher I can get. I suppose so, yeah. Um, let's see. I'm running through some stuff in my brain here. <laughs> Did I play the majority in my career in the AFC? Uh, 100% of it in the AFC. 100% of it in the AFC. All right. So we've got an AFC running back that played in the SEC that had 6,000 career rushing yards. How many receiving yards? 2,346. That's pretty good for maybe a six-season player. Six, seven seasons maybe. And we've got... Did I play on a Super Bowl team? No. I've turned this into who am I rather than who is this rather than name this player. <laughs> um, all right. That eliminates some, some players from my mind. Not active. Ronnie Brown. No. It wouldn't be that easy. <laughs> Travis Henry. No. Took a shot. <laughs> Thought maybe you were pulling out. Man, I loved Travis Henry for a period of my life. Yeah. And he turned out to be an absolutely awful human being, huh? Yeah. Tote that rock, though. Travis Henry was a good pull there. Yeah. I wonder how his career stats stack up to that. I'll bring it up while you keep pondering. Okay. I'm going to guess he has more career yards. I feel like he played longer. He might have. It's tough to tell. Let's see. Very, very similar. 6,086 rushing yards. Yeah. Way fewer receiving yards. He didn't catch the ball that much, huh? No. Good pull, though, to get that yardage that close. SEC running back played his whole career in the AFC. Yeah. Can't Six, fault me for that mistake. 6,086 yards rushing, so we're 500 off. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. Proud right. of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, boy. Not going to come to me.
SEC. Rushing title played for the AFC, played in the AFC. How about this? This player was undrafted. Undrafted, so the college career may not be that much of a giveaway, huh? Undrafted. Undrafted to lead the league in rushing one year and lead the league in rushing touchdowns twice. Peyton Hillis. No. <laughs> Come on, he was on the Madden cover. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know where he played in college. Couldn't tell you. Might not have been an SEC school. Might have gone to Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas. God, I'm smart. But he was drafted. Yeah. <laughs> His career stats are bad. Are they? 2,800 yards rushing total. Damn. Which, you know, isn't bad except for the fact that he had how much in that one year? Mike Anderson. No. Terrell Davis. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thrown in the towel. Yeah. Arian Foster. Oh, Arian Foster, Tennessee. Yep. Yeah. University of Tennessee went undrafted. Would have thought he had a lot more than 6,000 yards, but all those injuries yeah. over the course of his career kept that number lower. He had a, a great four-year or five-year run with uh, Houston, ended in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Those rushing leaders are hard. Some of the other names, we'll give you some of them. Uh, you got you got some of these. Priest Holmes, Ricky Williams, Jamal Lewis, Curtis Martin, Sean Alexander, yeah, LT a few times, Adrian Peterson a few times, Chris Johnson, which was the one where I said pick A or B. He yeah. was A. Chris Johnson was A. 2006 yeah. yards for Chris Johnson in 2009. Yeah, yeah CJ2K. Yeah. Uh, DeMarco Murray led the league in rushing in 2014. Yeah. Um, LaShawn McCoy, and the last couple of years it's been Elliot Hunt, Elliot Henry. Yeah. How about that Peyton Hillis at Arkansas poll? <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't. I don't know where the hell I got that from. I played three seasons in the NFL. I somehow remember he played at Arkansas. Oddly enough, he played from 2008 all the way through 2014. Just only had the one year where he did anything. He spent those years in Denver, right? As the yep. as a as backup, full, like a true like a fullback, fullback. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't really a like a, a common thing for him to get the ball. All of a sudden, all the injuries happen, and he <laughs> starts <laughs> running buck wild. All right, well, another addition to name that player down. Two out of three, I'll take that every, every single, single time. Every single time, yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, um. We're going to go ahead and, and go over the ACC, ACC for this season. And, and this is where we'll, you know, we'll probably be a 20, 25 minute segment anyway, going through some of these teams, talking about, you know, what to look for um, before expect, we step yeah. away. You know, check us out on uh, hammered, sport, hammered underscore sports on Twitter, Hammered Sports Podcast on Instagram, Hammered Sports Podcast on Facebook. 
Um, you know, check us out there. We're starting to get a little more interaction out there. Some people challenging us to DraftKings events and things like that. So um, we're enjoying that. Let's uh, let's keep that up, guys. And um, you know, one of these weeks, I'd love to have uh, a mailbag session if we get some people to send some questions our way. Uh, but really, really enjoying what we're doing here. And Tom and I have a schedule laid out for uh, months to come of what we're going to be looking at every week here on the podcast. And then always room for the breaking news stuff as well. Looking forward to maybe doing a little bit more like immediate reaction stuff when big news breaks. Um, it's, you know, it's a little bit challenging for us. Tom lives about an hour, 45 minutes away from me. So, you know, he, he gets to the Hammer Sports Lounge. It, you know, it, it's a little difficult to just make an on the whim podcast for us, but we can always record one over the phone if we need to and, and uh, make that stuff happen. So uh, we're excited about the direction of everything here. Just keep interacting with us, guys. Uh, we'll be back right after this break. We are back, and it's time for the 2020 ACC preview, eh, Tom? Absolutely. And we're going to do uh, things a little bit different this week. We're going to go, based on their finish last year, we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. So uh, get us started here, Tom. Where are we going first? So we're starting with the Atlantic Division, and that gives us NC State, who last year was 4-8 and eight overall, 1-7 in the conference. Yeah, so uh, Dave Doran is the head coach there at NC State, and he went through a complete overhaul of his coaching staff. Uh, took everybody out. He's got new primary uh, coordinators, offensive and defensive side of the ball. Tim Beck comes in from Texas to try to take over that offense. What are you seeing out of this team this year, Tom? So the one thing that I kept reading over and over as I'm looking into them is that they suffered a ton of injuries last year, and that really held them back. Uh, they do have a lot of returning players, um, running back, receivers, uh, four starters coming back from the O-line, so a lot of pieces on offense coming back. The defense seems to be going over a bigger change, uh, a complete change in philosophy, going to the 3-5-5. 3-3-5, yeah, they went to so a stack. Yep, it should be interesting to see how, how that works out with them, but the offense seems to have some continuity coming into this year, which should help them, especially early on in the season. The problem is the returning quarterback was not good. He completed like 48% of his passes when they settled on him last year. Um, that, to me, is the biggest concern. Like, can – you know, it, this is a highly touted kid, Devin Leary, um, coming out of New Jersey. But he completed 48.1% of his passes. Yeah. And that's not good. And – you're going to need a step forward from him. Was it a target issue? I mean, you know, that's that's another question altogether. Their wide receivers did not play well. Yeah, they were also minus 13 in turnovers last year. Yeah. That's that's pretty bad. Offensive line does have some continuity. They're yep. returning four of their five starters. That's a big thing. So maybe they can take a step forward with a little philosophical change uh, with – you know the new coordinator and, and somebody who's been in a place that's had a successful offense in the past uh, I think that maybe that could be helpful for them my projection for them is still not to have a great season this year though no I, I wouldn't think that they're going to be competing for this I mean this division's top heavy when we get to it so it's going to be really hard to unseat Clemson I mean it's, could, it's just not practical to think could they get to bowl eligible I mean that's possible but the schedule they've got some games in here that that are winnable um troy is a is a pretty good um 
you know, group of five team that yep. they're going to play. But they play Delaware. Uh, they get Wake Forest and BC at home, Liberty at home. Those games are all winnable for them. Sure, Duke's at home. Yeah, Duke's at home. Mississippi State's at home, but you know I think Mississippi State's going to be a little bit better than they are. And you know Mississippi State's going to be a completely different program this year than than what you've seen in the past with uh, Mike Leach taking the helm there to yeah. chuck it around. So, yeah, I think this is a team where can they get to six, seven wins and get up, get back into a bowl game this year? That's their challenge this season. You know, they're not a finished product. This isn't a team that's should be competing. They are just kind of rebuilding. And the second year of the quarterback will be a big, uh, you know, how he goes will be the big difference for them. If, if he can improve, you know, they have a real chance to improve with some of that uh, offensive coming back and uh, some new blood on defense. But, if he doesn't improve much, you can only go so far. Right, and let's see, you know, uh, is Porter Rooks, he's their top-rated recruit in this class, uh, wide receiver, and they were sorely needing a wide receiver in this group. But is the, the cutback spring workouts and everything going to hurt these incoming true freshmen that would have an opportunity to contribute immediately like Porter Rooks? Or is he talented enough that that's not going to have a huge impact on him? Those are questions that you none of us really know the answer to. Sure. We can speculate that he's not going to be as productive as he as he may have been, but he may have the physical tools to be a big part of what they do this year. So. And it may just take longer into the season. Yeah. Up next, local Syracuse University. SU. Last um, year, five and seven with a two and six record in the ACC. Our good friend Dino Babbers. Yeah. Head coach. Very, very disappointing for Dino. Um, you know, Babers brought a squad that was 10-3 and three the season before and nationally ranked to start the season. The wheels came off against Maryland in week two. Yeah. Watching week one against Liberty, I remember watching the game and going, man, this why is this offense doing nothing? Like, they should they scored, I think, 24 yeah. against Liberty. It ended up being a shutout, but – and then they went into Maryland and just got run out of the building by a team that's not that great. Yeah, when you look at their wins, too, Liberty, Western Michigan, Holy Cross, Duke, and Wake Forest. Yeah. not Nope, there's not a single quality win on there. Uh, Wake Forest was down, Duke's been down. Uh, nothing really there that you can say, hey, that was a good good game we played there. And they got blown out in a lot of games last season. Biggest issue seemed to be their offensive line was just really bad. Tommy DeVito is uh, he'll be in his third year with SU now. Yeah, fifty sacks they gave up that's last insane. season. It's absolutely insane. Uh, I saw an interesting set stat here. DeVito returns. This is from Athlon Sports. Um, a quote from their magazine. DeVito returns for his redshirt junior season as one of only two Power Five signal callers in the last decade to complete sixty-three percent of his passes, produce twenty-plus touchdowns record eight or fewer turnovers, and be sacked at least 35 times. He was very productive despite all the yeah. pressure that he was under. He didn't make a ton of mistakes. Now, they have three returning starters on that offensive line this year, and they got a, a transfer. Uh, Chris Blake from Florida came in to probably plug in at right guard. So, you know, that solidifies some of what they were dealing with last year. Hopefully those guys that are returning as starters have gotten their feet wet, are more seasoned now and can provide some protection for DeVito because they've got some explosive players on this team. Yeah, and this is another um, ACC team that's changing over. New offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Tried to break them in without the full spring. 
you know, we'll see what challenges that brings them. Their schedule is not awful. They do have some easier games in here. Colgate at Western Michigan, Liberty at home this year to offset their, their difficult ACC schedule. Yeah. So um, Jawar Jordan is – he was a true freshman last year. Um, runs a four three seven forty and is going to be an immediate contributor to this team as a, as a redshirt freshman this year in 2020. So that's a name to watch of somebody that you could see making explosive plays here uh, for this group. Um, also, Andre Cisco is in their secondary, and he leads all college football, active college football players in the FBS in interceptions. So uh, they've got some good, strong secondary play. Teams are going to be able to run the ball well against Syracuse, though, still more than likely. So that is an opportunity for you to look at, at matchups there and, and find teams that do run the ball well. Um, Syracuse will probably struggle to stop them. I think some overs for this team this year might be nice plays. Yeah, so I, mean, I think they're in the, a similar boat as you know NC State was where you know we should see some improvement with some continuity. But how much will that will depend on DeVito and how much he can get going with that offense. And we talked about with that schedule, Tom, potentially being 5-1 and one going into that matchup at Clemson. Sure. And then, you know, a couple of games after that that are winnable. So this is a team that could be 6-2, and two, um, you know, 6-3 and six and three maybe after 9 um, with some more winnable games down the stretch. So I think uh, definitely a team that I see getting bowl eligible this year. I think that 7 wins is not out of the question in any stretch next we have boston college last year six and seven overall four and four in conference play they lost the birmingham bowl to cincinnati got a new head coach what do you see here kev yeah so i mean anytime that you're making a major shift at the top it could change the way that that season shakes out so um jeff halfley uh comes in and takes over um you know it's going to be interesting to see kind of what exactly this guy can do in bc who has always been like that power run team um you know pro style they had aj Dillon, they had uh, anthony brown um he was talented but he transferred out so you know is this going to be a power run team still is that what we're looking at i think dennis grossell is is really not a good quarterback i think again this is a team that's not going to be explosive to watch on offense you're going to see a lot of the same stuff you know well some of this depends on if uh, phil yurkovic can get cleared to play this year too yeah um from my notre dame irish she was she transferred over went from one catholic school to the other uh, they're still waiting on whether or not he's going to be cleared to play it seemed i mean he was practicing in march with them it'll be interesting to see because because that could be an immediate upgrade for them if he's able to step in and play which Again, you know, you improve at the quarterback position in college football, it's a big difference. Yeah. But their schedule, again, it, it gets – they have a fairly tough schedule. A couple couple cupcakes that uh, sprinkled in, but, you know, you start off the first game of the season uh, hosting Syracuse, who we just talked about should have some explosion on offense. Uh, you, you have to play Clemson, Louisville, at NC State, at Florida State. I absolutely love this anonymous quote <laughs> regarding Halfley taking over at – Boston College. Um, Halfley did a fantastic job as D.C. at Ohio State, but that's not something you can apply in this situation. The Buckeyes ran about as simple a scheme as anyone in the country last year. If you do the same thing at B.C., you'll lose every game by 50. 
Yeah, you don't have Chase Young anymore. Right. You have to get a little more creative than that. And Jeff Okuda and Damon yeah. Arnett. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> a, a number of different players. So Yeah, you know, he was a secondary coach in the NFL, so he definitely has some experience, uh, knows what he's talking about, X's and O's. It, it is a big step, though, to becoming a head coach and recruiting and planning and getting all that. So we'll, we'll see what you know steps he takes in his first season uh, towards accomplishing all that. Yeah, I mean – you know, they lost some really good players, uh, but they do have, um, you know, David Bailey returns. Uh, he was part of that rushing game with A.J. Dillon, so I think they'll still be able to run the ball all right. Um, throwing it, you know, who, who knows? But um, they do have uh, – they do expect to pass the ball a little bit more. Um, Zay Flowers is a pretty good speedy wide receiver, uh, so he could be a, another big addition for them. But, again – not a brutally difficult schedule, like you said, Tom. And uh, probably a team, for me, I, I would say that they might win one, two, three. Yeah, four, I mean, they scheduled can- at Kansas, Purdue. So, again, some, some not cupcake-like games. Those are, those are, yeah. oh, these oh, are big schools. They get Ohio, who's, you know, a group of five teams. It's going to be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> They're a pretty good team. So, a Holy Cross, you know, this could be a three to four win team, really. Yeah, I, I, I see them at the bottom of the division this year. So where are we going next, Tom? We are going to Tallahassee, Florida oh State Seminoles, six and seven last year with a four and four record in conference. Yeah. So last year's team, when you talk about the the games that they played, they started out with a shootout against Boise State that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, really enjoyable game. You know, their, their losses, aside from they got banged up, obviously, by Clemson, and they got banged sure. up by Florida. Respectable. Um, right. Everything else, they kind of hung in there, um, didn't have a lot. And they, they did get some close wins other than that as well. Um, but I, I think this is a team that has a ton of talent. You know they recruit the crap out of Florida and do a great job of it. And I really like Mike Norvell. I think that they were talking about uh, in another article that I read about his complex offensive style that he has some pro scheme stuff but does it in a hurry-up fashion. And it had a ton of success at Memphis. So they're returning you know, Marvin Wilson on the defensive line. Tamorian Terry is probably the best receiver in the nation or one of the yeah, best receivers of the, of the best, nation for sure. For sure. Um, you know, he's, a, he's really, really good. Uh, he has five receiving touchdowns of 70-plus yards in his career. It's quick. That's insane. It's insane. <laughs> it's quick. Um, they've got a safety named uh, Hamson Nasiruddin, uh, leading tackler each of the past two seasons. He had 22 tackles against BC. This is a safety. This dude is in the box monster. So um, fun to kind of see how that goes. Um, their schedule, Tom, talk about that a little bit. Do you have it in front of you? Yeah. So their schedule, you know, is a typical Florida State schedule. They're starting off with West Virginia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, they're going to go to Boise State this year. Of course, closing at home with Florida. Uh, they have Clemson at home this year. They have uh, they have to go to Miami. Um, looks like those are the bigger games on the schedule, uh, you know, the normal ACC slate. But a couple – 
couple good ones at home, but the, the Miami game is pretty tough, and at Boise State doesn't seem to ever be an easy win. So No, no, not at all, especially when you lost at home to them last year. But, right. Um, it's, I think their schedule is – this it's is a doable. team that could rebound. They could they could rebound and and go what nine and three in the regular season or something like that. You know, it's at tough. Louisville is going to be tough too. Sure. Um. So you know, eight and four, or seven and five, eight and four, nine and three, somewhere in that ballpark. Yep. But seven and five is not going to be acceptable long term there for Norvell. So uh, he's going to need to win some of those games. Yeah. So the, this is a team where you see a lot of pieces that you like. It just doesn't seem to have the full picture yet. You know, I, I, I do like Norvell coming in. I think that's a, a good positive for them. But how much can he affect it in the one season without a full off season? Well, he um, did have last year. This is his second year with them, right? I do or, not believe so. No? Is this Norvell's first season with them coming over? Hmm, I thought. Oh, yeah, maybe Norvell did get hired in this offseason, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, it is his first season with them, yes. So you have uh, you have 10 returning starters on defense, which is great. Uh, you have some explosive offensive weapons, uh, but the quarterback that gets them the ball is going to be the big question mark for them. Um, we'll see what happens at that at that position. I mean, that to me, that's it. Yeah, is James um, Blackman going to hold his chair? Yeah, you know that's the thing. Um, Blackman seems to have a lot of talent, but that offensive line has been putrid for a couple of years now. They're another ACC team that can't block for their quarterback. Yeah. So seemingly a bit of a trend there, but maybe. <clears throat> some of that we see is because they've had, had some really good defensive lines in the ACC. Yeah, some good pass rushers in the ACC. So it, it, they're another team that's that's on that fringe of you could see them going seven and six, six and seven again, or you could see them winning those couple extra games to get an eight to an eight and five yeah. record. Yeah. Who do we got next, Tom? Is it Louisville? It is Wake Forest. Wake Forest. Wake Forest, eight and five overall, four and four last year in the conference. They lost the Pinstripe Bowl to Michigan State. And Dave Clawson is back at head coach. Dave Clawson's done a nice job, hasn't he? Yes. They also are bringing back nine starters on defense. They like to get after the passer. Yeah, so talk about their defense a little bit, Tom, if you, if you want to start there. Yeah, so Carlos Basham's going to be back. He had 10 sacks last year. Um, really wreaks havoc. Uh, the defense overall is solid. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the only big thing that they're going to have is both of their corners left. So their top two corners are gone. They have to replace them. But the middle, the linebackers are back. Their um, front front seven should be really good. Yeah. Uh, Clawson's gone 36 and 40 here in four years, and that's pretty darn good considering the, the situation that Wake Forest was in when he stepped in. They were really bad for an extended period of time. I want to talk about the offensive side of the Sage? ball. Yeah, Sage? Yeah, Sage Surratt. <laughs> I mean – this kid can play football. He is he is a, a really, really good wide receiver. Another guy that's a probably top five wide receiver in the country mm-hmm. right now. And uh, He's going to be fun. And Sam Hartman's going to come back as the quarterback now with uh, Jamie Newman transferring out. Georgia. He went to Georgia. I got to be honest, I like Sam Hartman. He lost the job, really. It seems like you know an injury kind of cost him that job initially. But Sam Hartman, Hartman was a highly recruited kid. Who can play pretty good football? I watched him play against, uh, I think it was against uh, Tulane, and uh, he had a really nice game playing against Tulane. I was really impressed with him. Uh, I think that Sam Hartman can can do some things here. Yeah, and um, he's definitely less of a question mark than some of the other teams we just talked about. No question, at quarterback. 
I think this is a steady football team. I think this is a team that could win seven to eight games pretty comfortably. Yeah, and, and based on their their schedule, I mean, they could even get to nine. You know, nine and four with a, a bowl game victory would not be out of the question. Yeah. You start at Old Dominion, Appalachian State, Villanova. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think that they're going to be at least 10-point favorites in each of these games, if not more. Um, then you Maybe not against App State. I think App State's pretty good again. At home, I think they might be. Yeah. Then you have you have a couple tougher games. You got to play Notre Dame, and then you do have to play Clemson at the end of the year. But both of those are at home. How both, tough is Notre Dame, man? Get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> both of those games are at home. Uh, your toughest road trip is probably at Florida State or at Louisville, depending on how they they shake out here. Um, so you have a lot of winnable games on the schedule for them, and and some of their tougher games again at home, where they can use that those. Fans, are they going to yeah. be allowed? Uh, Maybe uh, we'll see. At least you get to sleep in your own bed still, right? Well, Nothing I guess else. that's the the big advantage at this <laughs> point. So yeah. Forget about stadium atmosphere so Ugh. much as as like uh, you know travel. I guess it's the only yeah, travel might thing. be more stressful this year than ever any ever before, right? Yeah, and that Notre Dame game is actually at a neutral site in Charlotte, yeah, the Bank of America. It's still in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, well, it's a home game, I guess. They just can't fit enough Irish fans in that little stadium. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, last year this Wake Forest team they they started out five and zero, yeah. and um, then they lose a game sixty two to fifty nine to Louisville, and then they beat Florida State and NC State, the barn burner. Yeah, they lose at Vatech, at Clemson, at Syracuse in overtime is the only one I really don't like, and then bowl games, you know, whatever happens happens, but that. Their losses are not bad losses last no. year by they, any stretch. So. Syracuse is the only bad team that they really lost to. The other ones were, were good teams on the road, except for Louisville, and that game was just out of this world. So, Yeah, fun, really fun. So um, a good team, good football team, and I don't think that – I don't think it was all Jamie Newman, and I think that some people might be getting the impression that that's what it was because now he's the Georgia transfer and he's taken over, you know, a Power 5 program yeah. that's, you know, been in, you know – the playoffs and everything else. So to good, me, good luck stepping into those shoes. To me, anybody who's looking at at Wake Forest is stepping back because of the uh, quarterback situation. I think they're making a mistake. Yeah, that defense should be better. Which, <laughs> with those weapons on offense and a quarterback who, I mean, it's not like they're bringing up freshmen off the street. I mean, this kid's played in college football and has done well already. Yeah. All right, moving on to Louisville, who eight and five, five and three in the conference last year. Won the Music City Bowl versus Mississippi State. Yeah. Scott Satterfield's second year. And one thing I want to point out, 15 returning starters. That's very good. 22, 15 returning starters. So I'm going to start out here. Scott Satterfield's a great football coach. This is a guy that came from App State. He went to Louisville, and he took this program from most people expected them to win two, three games last year. And they won eight. Um now, you yeah, the get, ACC, sorry, cut you off. The ACC media poll last year, preseason media poll, predicted Louisville to finish last in the Atlantic Division. They finished second with yeah. a, a they, very solid record of 5-3. and three. Mikhail Cunningham is so dynamic. He can run with the ball. He can throw the ball. Um, 22 touchdown passes with only five picks. Um, ran for 482 and six more scores. Um, they have all kinds of explosive JV and Hawkins is nasty. Yeah. And you've got Javian Hawkins, who had uh, 1,525 yards with eight 100-yard games. 5.8 yards a carry. Yeah. That's nasty. This is – they're going to play really good football. 
The defensive side is the bigger question. Last year, 12th in total defense in the ACC, gave up 500 yards six separate times. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we we need to see them button that down a little bit. Yeah. I have confidence in Satterfield to kind of tighten stuff up there. Uh, I expect this team to be really competitive this year. Uh, I haven't – now, glancing at their schedule, they – they play some games. They start with – they get Clemson early. Uh, Which is good. They get Clemson in week two. But it's in Clemson. So at Clemson, yeah. yeah. But the other three games, four or five, I think they're going to be five and one. I think they're going to beat NC State. I think they're going to beat Murray State. I think they're going to beat Western Kentucky. I think they're better than Syracuse and Boston College. But those that, are both on the road. Right. And then you're home for Florida State and Virginia Tech. I, I see a team here – that Notre Dame game could be really fun late in the season. You could have a team that's got two losses going to Notre Dame on, on 11-21. Could be a fun football game. So I, I look forward to seeing this season and, and this iteration of the Louisville football team with Scott Satterfields getting his second year. It, for that much success in year one for him uh, was really a surprise, and I'm yeah. excited to see how well he builds this out moving forward. Yeah, I, I think it's all on that defensive side of the ball. The offense – you can see it are going to be there. They have the players in place to make make the offensive side a blast. Um, that's you know if you're Clemson, you got to be a little worried about that game early in the year. We're about to talk about them, and I think one of the things that they should be worried about is early in the year games. You have to replace a lot of people, and as good as your quarterback and running back are going to be, you still have a lot of people to replace, and you may be vulnerable to that early upset trying to figure it all out. Um, no, no. But you know they have a good schedule set up for them to win a lot of these games. Some of the tougher teams in the division, minus Clemson, are at home. Your Florida States, your Va Techs. Uh, so you, you do have them at home, if nothing else. Yeah, boy, it sucks to, to be playing in that Atlantic against. <laughs> I know. You know, with that Clemson there. team who's just been a juggernaut. And, you know, they don't they, lose ACC games anymore. It just doesn't happen. Right. And that's that's tough. You know, that, that's really tough. When's their last, last ACC loss? Was it the. Um, did they lose to Syracuse? Let's a couple see of years ago in the Loud year. House. Two years ago in the Loud House, I think. Did Syracuse pull that off? Let me. So, no, it wasn't 2018. 2017, they lost. Yeah, at Syracuse in October of 2017, 27 yeah. 24. That was the last time they lost yeah. against ACC. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, it's a nice run. It is. They're they're very good. And what Trevor Lawrence has one loss in his career now, and that was to LSU this year in the yep in the championship game. So and they are next on our list to talk about. Yeah, so we might as well dig right Roll in. Right in. Fourteen and one, eight and zero in the ACC. Uh, lost the national title to LSU, who just seemed to be a team of destiny last year. Yeah. Uh, Dabo's back. Trevor's back. Yeah, the and, gang's all here, and everyone says, you know, basically they're they're just reloading at this point. Sure, it's it's not a um, it, it's not a challenge for them right now in that conference so much. Um, tell you, I'll talk about this later. Never mind. I I, I had a thought pop in my head, but uh, yeah, I mean the thing is, is you have to replace these players. It's easy to say on paper, but. They have to, you know, they have guys they lost in key positions, you know. Mm -hmm. They lost two linebackers that went in the first three rounds of the draft. They lost a couple 
uh, defensive backs that went early in the draft, A.J. Terrell um, in the first round even. So I mean, they have to replace these players, and it's not something that always goes as smoothly as you anticipate. Their recruiting classes are crazy good, so you would think they have the athletes, but can they get them in position to make plays, to do well? Uh, once again, they have a – I mean, you look at every game and they're going to be favored to win it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're at Georgia Tech to start the year. Um, Louisville, Akron, you know, they do have to play at Notre Dame on the beginning of November. That game might be a lot of fun if both of them are, are good at that point. The one question I have is um... – with the loss of T. Higgins leaves and then Justin Ross tore his ACL, he's out for the season. So those two losses at wide receiver could lead to some question marks about the targets for Trevor, Trevor Lawrence for the first sure. time. So um, it'll be really interesting to see kind of how they manage that and, and who can step up. I see that Amari Rogers is probably going to be the number one here. Um, but And then uh, Braden Galloway being back is the big one. They, yeah. I, I kept seeing he's a tight end, but he's really fast for a six foot four guy. Yeah, uh, but you know they're going to be able to run the ball really well again. Obviously, having ATN come back, yeah, it, it's um, they're going to be good. They're going to they're going to win that division more than likely. I would say um, because I don't see another team that's really got the juice yet in that division to get there. No, there's some good teams. There's some like we just went over. There's some solid football teams in that division. But there's nobody that's elite except for Clemson. Clemson's at the elite status. When we talk about some of these other conferences, like when we get to the SEC, there's a few teams that are elite. Uh, there's there's only one in the ACC right now, and that's yeah. Clemson. Yeah. Um, Tom and I are going to take another quick break here. We did about 30 minutes on the Atlantic Division. Um, step away for just a minute, and we'll be right back with you. We're back, and... It's time for the Coastal, the ACC Coastal, Tom. Yes, the Coastal Division. Uh, again, starting at the bottom, we're going to start with Georgia Tech. 3-9 and nine overall, 2-6 and six in the ACC. Uh, a couple things to be excited about. 17 returning starters. They are still transitioning from that option offense to the spread offense. We'll see that continue this year. What do you have with them, Kev? Yeah, so, you know, Georgia Tech is uh, – program that looks like they're back in the right direction they had some good performances last year um but you know also it's a big change to go from the option style with paul johnson to jeff collins coming in and taking over but they certainly struggled at times last year when when you go through the the performances last season they you know their wins came against usf they did win at miami and then they beat nc state but they got drubbed in some games, too. Yeah. Vatek just gave them a beatdown. Unfortunately, they had Georgia on their schedule, which they will every year. Yeah. Yeah, their and, schedule's not easy again this year. You know, if Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, at Georgia, UCF, again, they're playing them. So Yeah, and some of the softer teams they play on the road, so it makes it a little tougher at Syracuse at Pitt. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can easily dial up one, two, three – for five, six, probably six losses immediately right? for this group. So I think, unfortunately, they're just not going to be ready to, to compete at this level. I think that this is going to take some time, though, and I expect some growth, and I expect them to get better and better. But I think that this might take 
three to four years to fully transition out and get players that fit the new system. Yeah, you're, you're playing a system that these kids were not recruited for, most of them. And that, that's kind of why you see a lot of returning players, because you have some of the younger kids um, who got shots last year because they fit the system better than some of the, the tried-and-true players. So it is going to be a, a work in progress. Uh, not a lot of expectations out of Georgia Tech this year. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to, like, Collins running that program, he, he's trying to let them know, listen, it's going to take time. you you got to understand that they don't have any receivers that are no. – a fit for the ACC that are that have more than just their true freshman season under their belt. So it, it's going to be tough. It's going to take time. It's going to. I think that Collins is a good guy for this build, and I think that eventually they could be a team that is in the middle of the pack. Or you know, I, I don't see him as a top tier team really. But um, again, tough season ahead for them. I think. Uh, then we have Duke at five and seven overall, three and five. In the ACC, they are getting a Clemson quarterback transfer, Chase Bryce, coming in and six starters returning on defense. Yeah, so, you know, Chase Bryce has played some meaningful time um, in that Syracuse game where they rallied. Uh, Bryce had the opportunity there. Um, David Cutcliffe is known as a quarterback whisperer. Everybody thinks that he's he's great at teaching quarterbacks. So this is a guy who's got a, a relationship with the Mannings. He's he's been known for um, having these quarterback camps, and people come there and learn from him. So Chase Bryce could be a really nice addition to that offense this year. Um, they were terrible on offense last year after losing Daniel Jones, and yeah. Um, now it's can they turn that around um, with Bryce? So, and this is another team they have. Uh, some easier games early in the season uh, to get started. Middle Tennessee, Elon, Charlotte. And then it gets tough. They have a lot of tough road games at Pitt, at NC State, at Notre Dame, at Georgia Tech, at Miami. Uh, they do avoid the Clemson debacle, but still a lot of tough road games that they'll have in the ACC play. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, this is a team that it's a little up in the air. Their defense should be st- solid still. Not great necessarily, sure. but solid. Um, but I think that that's going to be what's going to need to carry them again. Yeah, you're looking at six, seven wins yeah. out of this club Yep. Um, as, as maybe the ceiling. And I think this is where it starts to get more interesting in the, in the yes, Coastal. This, this Coastal is, is obviously way more wide open without the, the heavy favorite of Clemson on their side, so we're going to get into the next three or four teams. They all seemingly have a shot at it. So uh, starting with North Carolina. Seven and six last year, four and four in the ACC. Uh, they did win the Military Bowl against Temple. Uh, Mac Brown back for his second year. And the one thing we were talking about before is uh, six losses by a touchdown or less for them last year, including a one-point loss uh, against Clemson. So, you know, not somebody that uh, was an easy out last year at all. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be really exciting. Um, they, they get Chaz Surratt back on the defensive side of the ball. They're returning so many players. Um, Sam Howell had an amazing season, and their recruiting is just getting better and better. They are getting loaded with players. Yep. Expected to have a top five class in this next group. So um, with a bunch of returning studs on this team, um, I, I expect a, a big jump from this group uh, from you know last year where, you know, they, they ended up suffering, what was it, six losses on the season? 
Yeah, all uh, of them by a touchdown or less. Yeah, I anticipate this team really turning the corner this year and uh, and being t- a tough, tough out for everyone they play. And they're, and they're playing some good teams right off the bat at UCF and versus Auburn, their first two games of the season. The Auburn game is in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So they're going after it right away. You'll, you'll get an expectation of who they are early on in this season. Um, this is a team that, that ranked in the top four in the ACC in all offensive categories. And then defensively, you know, in top – top 40 nationally in all those categories as well. And now you've got Howell with a little more experience under his belt. I think that there's only room to go up from there for them on the national front. Obviously, it'll be tough to match what Clemson does offensively. Right. Uh, but I think that they're going to be really, really fun. They're balanced, too. They ran the ball 188 yards per game, passed it for 285 yards per game. You know, those those yeah. things are, are big to have that balance. That October 24th at Miami game may be a huge game for them. Obviously, Miami's going to be one of the other contenders in the Coastal. After that, you have three of your last four are home games and the away games at Boston College. So you could close out very strong. If you can find a way to beat Miami in that game, you have a very good record, um, at least in the ACC play. Yeah. So And, and they've got a, a young player, um, Josh Downs, um, who is a like a lightning-style wide receiver, um, drawing comparisons to Tavon Austin. Uh, should be a really fun, explosive piece on this offense as well. The, the players that they lost, you know, it's not really a bunch of guys that stand out to you. Charlie Hack, Jason Strobridge, Miles Dorn, yeah. um, you know, solid players, but not really centerpieces. Um, yeah, not many teams can say they're returning their quarterback, top two wideouts, 1,000-yard running back, and four starting offensive linemen all to the offense. Yeah, this is going to be so much fun to watch this team this year. I'll be tuning in to as many UNC games as I can early in the season, particularly that Week 2 matchup against my beloved Auburn Tigers. Uh, Then we get to the ever-steady Pittsburgh Panthers. 8-5 last year, 4-4 in the conference. They won the Quick Lane Bowl versus Eastern Michigan. Uh, What do you see with these guys, Kev? Yeah, so um, I like a lot about what Pat Narduzzi does. He seems to bring a certain level of toughness. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Um, that seems to be the part that concerns me the most, but they've uh, consistently churned out solid running backs here. Um, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with this group. They're, they're seeking 10-win season this year. They think yeah. that they're going to be able to win 9-10 games this year. Um, I'm not sure that they'll be able to get there. And it's based off the defense. Last year they had 51 sacks. Yeah. And uh, they were turning eight starters to the defense that only allowed 22.5 points per game last year. I mean, so a very solid defense you would imagine coming right back. And four out of five of your offensive line starters coming back. So the, the core is there. Can Pickett make enough plays to make it a 10-win season? Their schedule early on, I mean, they're – they're, I would imagine they go 4-0 and to start. Yeah. Miami, Ohio, at Marshall, Richmond, and Duke. Three home games, which, again, yeah. should be favored in all four of those games to start the season. They need to get more points on the board. If they yeah. get more points on the board, they're going to be interesting to watch. They'll be very tough to deal with because always Pat Narduzzi's teams come in and, and they fight you and play you tough and don't give up a ton. Um, you know, they got a win against UCF last year that was – uh, impressive. It was thirty-five, thirty-four, but you know th- those are those are some interesting. 
I'm excited. I, I, I think that they can be competitive against everybody they play this year. Then we have Miami, 6-7 and seven last year, but 4-4 four and four in the ACC. They did lose the Independence Bowl to Louisiana Tech. Uh, very poor showing, lost 14 nothing in that game. Yeah, and I think that was you know one of those situations where they've mailed it in for the season yep. and um, didn't care about being there to play against Louisiana Tech. So, and this is the team that led up fifty-one sacks last season. Yeah. Now, can they improve on that? If they can, they're going to be protecting Derek King at quarterback this year. Um, Derek King is a guy who comes in from. Uh, Houston transfers out of Dana Holgerson's mess that he had there last year. He was talked about as a potential Heisman candidate last year prior to the season. Uh, Rhett Lashley comes in and takes over as the offensive coordinator there, and uh, he does a great job with a spread offense. He chucks it around. He, he gets guys to chuck it around. Um, Miami is great at recruiting the talent positions, but they're just not. They haven't been getting a lot out of it in the past. <laughs> Uh, they have a star tight end in Brevin Jordan. Uh, they run the ball well. De'Eric King's in there now. Um, Miami needs to fix that O-line. You've got to protect him. If yeah. you can protect him, this is a team that could shock everyone. And this is my sleeper team in the ACC this year. This is a team that could go easily. You know, when you look at their schedule, we, we go through the games that they have to play, and – they play they they do not have to face Clemson this year and they have kind of a soft early season schedule oh yeah so that puts you in a spot the game at Michigan State might be a little tricky because Michigan State seems to do pretty well on the defensive side of the ball but I like their chances to win maybe maybe as many as 10 games in the regular season and if things go really well who knows so I, I, I kind of like this team. It's all whether or not they can sure up that offensive line. Yeah, their defense uh, should be very good. Gregory Rousseau is, is really great. He, last year, 15 and a half sacks as a redshirt freshman. Uh, coming back, going to be one of the highly sought-after pass rushers in the NFL draft. So they are going to wreak some havoc there. Uh, we will see if they can put it all together. Because, again, they, they have a bunch of pieces. And just like uh, the last few years at Miami, you can see that there's a puzzle being put together. Just can they get it done on the field? Uh, they do have a very favorable schedule. A lot of their tougher games are at home. North Carolina's at home. Pittsburgh's at home. Florida State's at home. You know, so some of the other tough teams in the Coastal Division are coming to their their building um, at Virginia, probably being the toughest away game. At Virginia Tech. As Virginia well. Tech, yeah. So there there are a couple of tough ones on there for sure. Uh, but you've got North Carolina at Virginia, Florida State at Virginia Tech. That stretch from October 24th to November 14th is the maker at Wake Forest the week before that, so October 9th before that. Yeah. So you've got like a, a five or six week stretch in there that's going to make or break their season. All right, Virginia Tech is the next team, eight and five overall, five and three in the ACC. They lost their the Belk Bowl to Kentucky. And they're bringing in a new defensive coordinator, Justin Hamilton, but he will be having 10 starters return on defense. 10 returning defensive starters. Yes. On a team that was pretty good defensively already. Five, you know, that they, they, they had some – there was a little consistency issue there, it seemed like, on, on the defensive side of the ball. They really turned the corner 
later in the season, um, including wins, you know, a close loss to Notre Dame, yep. um, a win against North Carolina in overtime. Um, they beat Wake Forest by 20. You know, that Wake Forest team was not bad. Right. Uh, they they run Georgia Tech out of the building. They sh- including back to back shutouts against Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh. The loss to Virginia with Bryce Perkins at the Virginia uh, with Bryce Perkins at the helm. You know that that's going to happen. And then you go to a bowl game where you know maybe it's just a little bit of a letdown because you didn't get that win against Virginia there. I think they were they were right in the hunt there to win the ACC. So uh, the ACC Coastal. So. Yeah, I think a win would have put them in the ACC title game because yeah. they finished one game back in Virginia. Yeah, and I think that kind of – it's deflating, you know, and then they lose 37-30 to Kentucky in the bowl game. I, I tend to try to throw some of those out um, and, and, you know, not really use those as a, an indicator as to what kind of team we're going to see in this upcoming season. What yeah. do you feel, Tom? I mean, Hendon Hooker, talk to, talk to me about him a little. Yeah, so Hendon Hooker took over last year. He only made eight starts – uh, they were six and two in the games he started, and, and that great stretch we we're talking about—that—that's where he came on. Uh, they were playing well. He d- doesn't turn the balls over as much. Thirteen touchdowns, only two interceptions. Really, sixty-one percent of his passes. So, if again, if if another quarterback, if he can make that next step, you're you're talking about a team that could go from eight and five to to ten and three. The, the challenge for them will be they they do have some some tougher games. Uh, they're they got to play Penn State. Um, they do have that at home, um, at North Carolina, at Louisville, at Pittsburgh. So here's an interesting uh, stat. Virginia Tech was 2-3 and three and averaged 22.6 points per game um, in the games without Hendon Hooker. Yep. With Hendon Hooker, they went 6-2 and two and averaged 36.1 points per game. It's a huge difference. It's, it's monstrous, and it's not level of competition because you can see the games that he played in were against good competition. So um, it, th- this kid is a difference maker on the offensive side of the ball. I'm really excited to watch what he can do this year. This is what we're talking about with the Coastal, man. The, these are some really solid football teams that are going to be squaring off. Yeah, there's, no, there's no huge favorite because all these teams are good with question marks uh, that's what will make this division a lot of fun will anybody really take off and you know go 11 and 1 and and challenge Clemson in the ACC title game or, or will we see a lot of this year where you see a lot of eight and fives uh, you know four and four in the conference right so you know now we move on to what Virginia is the last Virginia team right? won the coastal last year nine and five six and two in conference uh, they did lose the Orange Bowl to Florida uh, they were seven and zero at home. Seven and zero, only two and five on either road or neutral games last year. Yeah. So, we've got you know the the big thing obviously is the loss of Bryce Perkins at quarterback. Um, now, where are they going to go at, at quarterback? Here is uh, maybe Brennan Armstrong. Um, he is he's going to take over. Um, uh, Katan Thompson is is uh, Keaton Thompson uh, transferred in from I think Ole Miss, um, one of those SEC schools. I think he was competing in Ole Miss with that mess that they had going on there. <laughs> Maybe Mississippi State, one of those two. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I, I think that you're going to see a guy that um, he's going to step in, but he's not going to be as explosive as Bryce Perkins. So. Is that step back going to hurt them as much as that defense continuing to get better under Bronco Mendenhall, who I think is a great coach? I think that this is a team that's going to be competitive. Um, but 
I don't know if they're going to be where they were last year. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to take a, a step back, whether it's a big step back or a small step back remains to be seen. But I just, uh, the way I look at it, I see them coming back and, and some of those other teams we were just talking about, uh, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Miami, really kind of duking it out for that top spot in this in this division. Yeah. Um, where do you where are you going to go with uh, your predictions for the ACC time? All right, so I Atlantic no no brainer here. I have Clemson win the Atlantic. I actually am picking Vatech to win the Coastal. I think just the all around solid defense and enough weapons on offense to get it done, um, along with that favorable schedule. And then I have Clemson winning it. And just like Kevin, my sleepers Miami. I really think this team, you know, if they can protect Derek King, they have a real shot to win a bunch of games, and they could end up being very explosive. Yeah, and for me, it's uh, Clemson on top in the Atlantic. And then um, I see North Carolina continuing to step forward with Mac Brown. And uh, a program that had been really down has really flipped the recruiting script. Uh, Sam Howell is, is a very good quarterback. He's threw for 38 touchdowns last season. I think it could be more this year. I think that he's a sleeper candidate for the Heisman Trophy if they win 11 games. I think that it's a team that could absolutely compete to do that. I think that the only problem they have is there's so much depth, I feel, in that ACC Coastal that any of those teams could beat them at any time. You know, you've got Vatek, Miami, Pitt, and Virginia, all with a legitimate chance to compete against them. So I love UNC. I think they're going to have a great season. I think that you should take the over on their season win total. And I think that uh, – Miami, if De'Eric King is right and they can protect him, is the team that could really shock everyone by stealing that division if things go sure. sideways somehow for UNC. Absolutely. So that's a wrap on today. Uh, next week, what do we have? The big UFC pay-per-view card preview, um, a little bit more PGA. And then next week for college football, we're going to do the Power 5 preview. So we're going to do the Power 5. The, the Group of 5. Preview. The Group of 5. And then the uh, Independence. Uh, we're going to lump them all together in one show. Um, maybe not as much. Tom, I mean, Tom gets to talk about his beloved Irish. Yeah, I get to talk about my Irish. And um, we get to give you some some nice predictions here. This is an area I'm going to give out next week, and, and uh, we'll set this in stone. These are going to be some season win totals for me from the group of five. I feel like this is an area where I can really excel in giving you guys a chance for season win total victory. So group of five teams, I, I plan on giving you five uh, win totals to wager on next week out of that group of five. Tom, I could task you with trying to find some as well if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think it'll be really fun to try and we're going to track those over the course of the season. And those are some of my favorite bets to make is those season win bets because it, it doesn't account for bowl games. So it's just regular season victories. Yep. And it'll be a lot of fun to give you guys some of those and track those over the course of the season to see how we do. Uh, but I'm excited for the college football season. I'm getting so amped up reading this magazine all the time. I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. I can hardly contain myself. But, um, yeah, we'll review the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Talk a lot of wagers I'm sure we're going to give out for the UFC event on July 11th. Yes. And I'm on vacation, so I expect – Maybe a, a boozy episode next week. Might be huh? a little more rowdy than normal. A little more rowdy. I don't know. 
we'll see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're uh, we're working out some uh, some more interviews and stuff too. So um, be prepared for that stuff to come down the line. Hopefully, we can get that stuff ironed out here very soon. Um, excited to continue the momentum that we seem to be gaining, huh, Tom? Absolutely. We will we'll see you guys next week. All right. See ya.